We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. Tonight we're going to do a mailbag. It's been a while since we did a Big Blue Banter listener mailbag. The draft is coming up, man. It is 10 days away on the time of this recording. Holy crap, it came up fast this year and I'm excited for it. But at the same time, I'm a little bit nervous because there's going to be a lot to cover in such a short period of time. I plan to sleep probably on average two hours a night between what I have to do for CBS Sports on both the fantasy and the NFL side. And most importantly, though, at least to me, what I want to do for the Big Blue Banter podcast, we want to do some podcasts and potentially some videos. So keep an eye on that. But today is all about the mailbag. It's all about you guys, the listeners. So before we do any of that, Nick, how you doing, man? As obviously the listeners know, you've been off pod now for a few of the last two, I guess maybe two, three pods we've done. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm also going to probably operate on two hours of sleep because of Big Blue View and Sports Illustrated, but I had some personal things come up that made me not be able to attend those podcasts. Apologize, but those are gone now, so I'm back, hopefully for good right now, and we're ready to tackle this draft. Yeah, Nick was on the short-term IL. He was questionable, then he was downgraded to doubtful, then out, and then there was one of those injuries where you're like, all right. Maybe uh, it'll be one game, and instead it turned into two games, two podcasts. And when I was like, you know what, I, I got in, I got on the horn with him. I talked to the medical staff and said, we need this guy back. We can't have him miss a third straight game. And so you know what, he's playing a little hurt. He might be playing a little hurt today. He might be podcasting a little uh, hurt today. You'll let us know if you, if you see any drop off in his in his podcasting game. But Nick is back and. We're going to start this bad boy off with a question that I loved. It was from Kevin Donahue, who sent this in via email. And his question was, hey, Dan, a question for you and Nick for the pod. Which players this year in the draft will make you feel 
like you felt from the results from last from the round from each round in last year's draft. So it's a little bit of a complicated question, but I like it. So he says for round one it was didn't see it coming but could work out as in Andrew Thomas. Round two it was happy he fell as in Xavier McKinney. Round three is intrigued by the upside. Round four is I like the approach. So let's start with round one. Deep didn't see it coming but it could work out. Go. Oh, okay. So this is actually a very very interesting question now. If it's somebody that you didn't see coming, then I think we're going to eliminate all the tackles. I think you have to eliminate all the wide receivers probably, right? Because we've covered a lot of these wide receivers pretty extensively, and this includes Kyle Pitts. As much as I would love for that to be the answer, I'm going to eliminate him from yeah. this equation because this is somewhat specific. We've talked about Micah Parsons, and we've talked about edges, so I'm eliminating them, and that leads me to the cornerback position, and that leads me to probably my favorite cornerback in this draft though I do believe it's arguable with JC Horn and that's Patrick Sertan that's the guy that I am going to now James Bradbury has what he has another two years including this one on his contract you bring in DeGore Jackson for three years we all have talked about how this New England model of defense prioritizes pass coverage over some of the edges and the pass rush and all of that and you know I, I don't take that as a gospel I'm not saying that, but I do believe you're adding a very talented football player in Patrick Sertan to really help shore up the secondary, maybe make this secondary the best secondary in the NFL. Do I believe this is the best allocation for this pick? No, but do I feel like it could work out in the future? Absolutely. Do I feel like you're getting a good football player? Absolutely. So I think for this, Patrick Sertan would be the answer to Kevin Donahue's question. I love this question, by the way, Kevin. Yeah, this is an excellent question. I don't have much left to work with because yeah, exactly. we're seeing the edge. And if an edge comes, we saw it coming. Though you could say maybe, um, let's say it was, I don't even know if there's an edge that would be a surprise. Like they're not going to go out and take anybody but pay, um, I'm sorry, pay Phillips, Ojolari, really at that, at that pick. If they're going to go edge at 11, maybe they go O. And I guess you could say Jason O would be a, didn't see it coming, could work out. I'm not going to go with that one. I'm going to actually go with, USC offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker because there's a little bit of talk on Giants Twitter about this maybe coming, but no one really thinks the Giants are going to take Elijah Vera Tucker at 11 overall, especially because they're you know the likelihood is he kicks inside the guard at the next level and tries to be the next Zach Martin, converting from tackle to guard and becoming just unbelievable, like taking his game to the next level by moving inside. And so that one would be the one for me. Didn't see it coming, but it could work out because I feel like a lot of fans believe if Penesul or if Rashawn Slater is off the board, well, that's it. Turn the page on offensive line for round one. But if they go ahead and take Elijah Vera Tucker, who a lot of people believe is right up there just as far as pure offensive linemen go, maybe again, he's not really an offensive tackle. And personally, I think there's a drop-off between from Slater and Sewell to him because to me, Sewell... That's obvious. I mean, you're moving like that at 330. Slater, to me, that those feet, man, they're just so quick. And I just think he'd be an absolute weapon in the screen game and in the perimeter game as a blocker in space. You got a guy like Vera Tucker who's not really, in my mind, either at that athletic upside and not really as quick as them footwork-wise, but really good tape and really just consistent tape and could be just, again, that Zach Martin pick. And like most people think, like when the Cowboys took Zach Martin, most people were like, this is a low upside pick, a low ceiling pick. They were surprised by that, really, to be honest. And yet, in the end, you get an all-pro guard, and I think it's probably high upside. Like, when you land an all-pro guard, like, yeah, I mean, they're not always going to work out. The Giants thought they'd get that with Will Hernandez. That was not the case, but 
I would say this would be my pick for didn't see it coming, but it could work out. And this one could honestly work out immediately for them. Absolutely. And for those of you who don't know, Vera Tucker was a player because we didn't do a player profile on him. We meant to, but I don't believe we're going to end up getting to him. But he's a player who started 2020 at left tackle after being inside at guard all before that. And he really didn't struggle. And a lot of people point to his Oregon game against Thibodeau, that stud pass rusher for Oregon, where he had a couple reps that were a little wonky. But the entire rest of the game was still very, very solid tape. And I think he's one of those players that can play tackle, but maybe a Pro Bowl type of guard. So I really love that take, bud. Yeah, so that will be our pick there. So for round two, it would be Happy He Fell. So where are you at on Happy He Fell? Who would that be? For me, it's going to be an edge rusher, and it's going to be Aziz Ojolari. I do believe he's going to go before this, but I don't think it's unreasonable or unrealistic to say that, okay, maybe he just slides for whatever reason. People prioritize Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips. They love the potential of a Gregory Rousseau and all of those guys, or the or Jason Owa. And that slides disease because his testing numbers weren't as desirable as a lot of teams look. So if we're looking for somebody who I didn't believe is going to fall, I didn't think Xavier McKinney would fall, he ended up falling. I think Aziz Ojolari fits that bill. And if he did fall, I would be ecstatic to add him to the Giants. And I think Jalen Phillips fits this mold as well. That's an interesting one. So for me, oh, Jalen Phillips, interesting. Yeah, I I would go, Jalen Phillips would be a good one. That would probably be the only edge I would put there. I don't think, I like to me, when I'm looking at Happy He Fell, I'm thinking more of the Xavier McKinney, like you're getting a top 15, 20 overall player in this class, but he fell there because like when McKinney ran that bad 40 or whatever, and everybody put too much stock in that. They thought maybe he'd be too slow at the same position. So I'm putting it more in that range. And to me, none of these edges, with the exception of maybe Phillips, is really this, that great of a value at 42. I know it sounds crazy, but I really feel like the mock drafts push these edges up just because they need to put edge some edges at the top of the draft. Because like, I don't know, you listen to guys like Ledyard and you just and guys who have really broken down this tape, and it just feels like none of these guys are really pure first-round talents, exception of Phillips. Phillips, I think you can make that case for. Phillips is a stud. Yeah. I, do, I do like, like Ojalari. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, like Phil- I like Phillips more right. than Aziz, but I just wanted to go with Aziz maybe safer because of those medicals. And I honestly, mm-hmm. I just... I mean, the medicals throw a wrench into everything, but I do believe people are going to look at Phillips in the back half of that first round and be like, yeah, we could take the risk on this kid. You feel Aziz is a first-round talent? No, I probably wouldn't have a first-round talent on him. If, okay. It depends. Do I believe he's a top 32 player in this yeah. class? Yeah, he might be. Oh, you do? Okay. But, like, first-round talent. I didn't have in a specific grading system this mm-hmm. year like I usually do. I don't know if I would have had a first-round grade on him, to be honest. Probably not. The only one who would would be Jalen Phillips. Okay, so, yeah. So, then that, in that, under those premises and those parameters, I'd probably only have Phillips then from the edges because I'm going to defer to you on that. But I will say the player that I have here is someone who I think would be a very McKinney-like pick uh, first round value that falls just because of the position he plays and just you know things like that and it would be jeremiah owusu karamoa so you put jeremiah owusu karamoa on this defense and holy crap is patrick graham happy he has so much more to work with you put him at the second level he's awesome maybe move him in the edge he'll probably go in round one um but i think there's a chance that he can go in round two and just to add a little bonus to that I'm going to say this when it comes to him, uh, when it comes to these potential guys. I'm also going to throw in Jamon Davis, the linebacker out of Kentucky, who's getting some first-round buzz now, and people are saying he could be the next Darius Leonard, the Colts' amazing second-round draft pick. I think he could potentially be there at 42, and he's another guy who I'd say um, would fit this billing for me, but more so because he's more of in that range, I think, overall, but more so Jeremiah. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Busu Carmo, because I think he could actually be a first round value that falls to that position, to that, to that spot. Absolutely. And I have for my third round, what, what is it? It's Third uh, round, we have to do intrigued by the upside. Intrigued by the upside. There's a lot of players yeah. I want to get. There's a lot of edges. A lot of edges I want to throw into here. But since I just went edge, I'm going to pivot. I'm actually going to go to the offensive side. I'm not going to go to the line because we've been heavy on the line. I'm sure. going to go to the wide receiver, and it's okay. Elijah Moore. Okay. Somebody that we talked about a lot over this offseason. Elijah Moore, round three, you think he could fall? I, I don't really think he's going to. Actually, he could because of the strength of this class and because of his lack of size. I'm going to challenge you here, Nick. I'm going to make you do a different one because I don't think that there's a chance he's going to fall that round three pick. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I'm not really 100% sure either. I think it's going to be I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge okay, you. I know okay. you got a lot in that arsenal, so I'm going to okay. put it. And you're back in the game. You had the week. You had the time right, off. Well, see, this is the, this is the crazy thing about this because I'm higher on Elijah Moore than the player I'm about to say. But I feel like consensus is higher on the player oh. I'm about to say than Elijah Moore, and that's North Carolina's Diami Brown. Yes, that could potentially maybe be there in round three. Which is funny because a lot of people think Diami Brown is, is better than Moore. I personally don't, but I do I love Diami Brown's dynamic ability to create separation vertically and just his ability to track the ball concentrate make these those contested catches right. he has a lot of those vertical ability and he created separation in that area excellently did well at the line of scrimmage has a pretty solid release package his route run his route tree gets slammed a little bit more of a vertical threat but i his athletic profile suggests that he can be fine on the intermediate digs and crosses and overs and things like that so i uh, I, I would put diami brown as somebody there who has a lot of upside but is definitely somebody who maybe uh, to me, at least, is not as uh, crisp or as good of a route runner or as just polished of a player as Elijah Moore is. Yeah, I think you your approach is more value-based because I feel like either of those guys would be incredible values too. I personally am going to stand by Elijah Moore has no chance to be there at 74. If he's there, run to the goddamn podium. I don't care if you have Jalen Waddle in round one. If you can get Elijah Moore in round three, you run to the podium. I don't feel that way with Diami Brown, but I agree with you. He's a good intrigued by the upside type pick there though i am curious if he'll be there i think he has a better shot of being there i'm gonna go a little deeper though with mine i'm gonna stick at the same position i'm gonna talk about two players who i'd be intrigued by the upside the first one is gonna be Dwayne eskridge who i believe has a little bit of light 
Elijah Moore to his game, a little bit of light Antonio Brown to his game, the way he gets in and out of breaks, and I loved watching his film. We didn't get a chance to get to him at all. He'll probably be on a future podcast, but he's my number two. I'm going to go with the first guy. I, I let in with him first, and let's go with the guy who I would be most intrigued by here at number 76. Or is it 74? I keep getting this wrong. Is it 74 or 76? I believe what it's 76. All right, 76. It is Simi Fihoku, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I've just watched him. I haven't heard many announcers talk about him, but it's Simi Fihoku, the Stanford Cardinal wide receiver who I was huge on early in this process because I loved watching him. I think he has all the tools to be legitimately if he develops it. If he Again, as John Ledger said on the podcast, I'm going to keep coming back to this. If he loves the game and if he's super committed to his craft, which I have no idea about, but hopefully the Giants would if they drafted him, I think he has the skill set and the tool to be a, a clear-cut number one receiver in this draft class. I think he's that. I think his upside is that good, um, and so he would be the player for me. Similar to the Matt Parrot pick, super super raw here. I mean, we're talking about a player who is raw from a hand standpoint and who's raw from a route running standpoint, and went on a two-year mission during. So that's kind of why he's a little bit of an older prospect. Doesn't have all the, you know. The, the background, the history of the position, the, the the what's it called, the reps there. But you're betting on traits here. You're getting somebody who runs a four three nine at six foot four and two twenty. Four three nine, six foot four to twenty. But really, more importantly, when you watch him on film, it's the body control that's unique. It, it's the surprising post catch ability. I mean, you watch him and you're like stunned at his agility and his ability to make cuts post catch for a guy who's six foot four, two twenty, wearing a four three nine. And what I liked about him is he has a game where he completely took over. Against UCLA, he went 16, he had 16 catches for 230 230 yards and three touchdowns. And I watched that game. I watched the film on that game. He was the most dominant player on that field. And he literally showed in my mind that you could be getting a number one later in this draft class here. And again, it's a raw pick like Parrott, but he would be my guy. Simi Filku out of Fahoku. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Fahoku, I'm going with the wide receiver out of Stanford. That dude's, he's a big boy. Yeah. He's like, what is he, like 6'4", 225? 6'4", 220, yeah. 220, that's that's a a biscuit away from a tight end, man. Yep. As they always say, as good old Bill Parcell says. But for me, uh, so this, so I want a little bit of clarification here. Like the approach. Okay. So it's like, did somebody fall or you just like the fact that they went in this direction to address something that could be in need? That's a good question. That's a great question because I think with Darnay Holmes, you could argue it was both ways. You either like the approach that they keep doubling in on corners or you like the approach that you're willing to take a value there even though you already have so much a corner so that's a good question there i think let's approach it in both ways okay for me this is another player who may not fall to that pick to be honest and it's going to be ben cleveland who is the okay because i've been talking about aaron banks and on all these mock drafts he's always there sometimes ben cleveland there sometimes he's not but I like Ben Cleveland because this dude is actually a pretty damn good athlete for somebody who's six foot six, three hundred and fifty-four pounds. Ideal for the power gap type of system. Can take that step back and pull if he has to, but maybe more better for the play side because, like we saw, Shane Lemieux pull a little bit more than Kevin Zeitler did. Even though you want to obviously mix and match that, it's something that's very important because you don't want to establish trends. Something we talk about a lot on this podcast. But I do believe if Ben Cleveland is there, I like the fact that they're looking to add toughness and strength at the point of attack to their offensive line somebody who could fit the power gap somebody who can block down somebody who can kick somebody who can climb and he's somebody who I don't believe is going to be there because he's too athletic for his size but you don't hear his name as much as you hear some of these other interior offensive linemen so I'm going to go with Ben Cleveland and I would like that process there I like it I'm going to go with Aaron Banks here out of Notre Dame I like the idea of for me like the approach this qualifies because 
you're continuing, and this is under the assumption that you might have went offensive line with one of your first three picks, and you're continuing to add to that bullpen, as I call it, the offensive line. You add bodies, you add talent, you add competition, you add depth. You're also taking a guy who has incredible upside. Like you've ta- we've talked about Iron Banks a lot, the Notre Dame interior offensive lineman. He can just bully people off the ball, and he is really up, up. His upside from the standpoint of he has all the tools and size needed to, in my opinion, be a really good guard in this system. They're all there. It's a risk, obviously, given his background and his history and lack of, you know, not production, but just reps, I think, and obviously the, the lacking experience from that standpoint. But that's the type of approach I like. You take the swing there, one, and the upside, but more importantly, you continue to add to this offensive line. Just like in previous years, you've continued to add to the secondary, which I truly believe is extremely important. Now you're continuing to add to the offensive line, which I believe is that almost that version of the secondary, but on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's a fair take, to be honest. And I love Aaron Banks. I've been kind of applauding him all throughout this, or lauding him, I should say, all throughout this offseason. So who's the next question we got, All right, before we go on to the next question, because I didn't see this, Kevin Donahue, and I wanted to hide this, said his answers would be Patrick Sertan. So you got that one. Elijah Moore, who you said for round two. But again, uh, oh, no, you said him for round three. So he said Elijah Moore for round two. Just call me out on it. I, I did call him because he's not going to be there in round three. <laughs> Ellerson Smith in round three, he said, and then Aaron Banks. So he, he actually said, you actually got two of the guys we would we would consider there, Kevin. So very interesting. All right, Steve Hall, good friend of mine. Steve Hall is the absolute man. Glad to get you on this, Steve. We've been waiting to get you a question of yours on. Fun fact about Steve Hall, not only is he a diehard Giants fan, but, but he's a Maryland fan. So in addition to that, we don't see eye to eye when it comes to the collegiate ranks, but again, anti anybody in the Big Ten, but Wisconsin. But having said that, he's a big Giants fan, so we're going to let him on. And he says most, including me, are optimistic about the recovery of Saquon Barkley, but it's not out of line to consider what if he isn't the same back. Booker doesn't provide a lot of upside as contingency. Should the G-man consider a late pick at running back? Thoughts on Jarrett Patterson? Honestly, I haven't seen Jared Patterson, to be honest. He's the kid from Buffalo. The Buffalo kid, yeah, yeah, the kid from Buffalo. I haven't seen Buffalo's offense quite yet. I watched a little bit of their defense with Malcolm Kuntz, who's a solid day three type of... Uh, I think actually Mel Kuyper just had him mocked in like the second round or something like that. But he's yeah. a solid day three edge, but I haven't seen that offense, have you? No, I have not seen Jared Patterson on tape, but I do remember watching him in the regular season because he was going off and there was a lot of hype around him, so... I don't. I, I agree with that on Patterson, but to answer your overall question, should the Giants consider a late round pick at running back? I think the answer is, without a doubt, yes. I think, in general, the best time to target running backs is either day two, where you can get your Alvin Kamara's value types, or day three, where you get you know guys who are in that range, but not necessarily maybe as high upside as an Alvin Kamara. But you can find plenty of starter level starter caliber players in that day three range as well. So. I think at the Giants position with Saquon Barkley already on the roster, the best move is to go day three here. And so I, right now as it stands, I wouldn't do it, Steve, because they just don't have enough picks. But if they can manage to trade back, acquire more picks from 42 or 11 or whatever it may be, or trade Evan Ingram in draft and do it or something like that, maybe, then in that sense I'd probably be more open to using a late round pick on a running back. Why don't you talk about the guy that I know you would want to go with? See, I'm mad you said this almost because, not mad, but I'm torn here because Steve Hall is one of the best fantasy football players, competitors in my main league. Oh, jeez. Yes, and 
He is maybe not quite as good as me, but he probably thinks he's better, but I'm going to say not as good as me at fantasy football. And woo-woo, fantasy football alert. I can't believe we're talking about on the show. Please don't one-star review us. But that guy is, and Steve, by the way, is going to be in that dynasty league that we're starting up, our startup dynasty auction. He's a he's a shark. So I don't really want to give this away, but at least he has his own opinion, so hopefully he won't piggyback off it. But it is Khalil Herbert for me, the running back out of Virginia Tech who had played previously with Kansas but had a weird situation where he transferred there. And Khalil Herbert is my favorite late round back in this draft. I watch him, and I got to be honest, I told this to Nick earlier, he's a poor man's version of him, so let's please keep that in mind before you put words in my mouth to anyone who's listening and then does tries to do that. But he is the closest style of running back that I've seen since Tiki Barber. He has a really similar running style in my mind to Tiki Barber and those quick choppy feet that can change direction just like on a dime and then that low center of gravity reminds me so much of Maurice Jones Drew he reminds me of kind of a compare uh, a mix between MJD and Tiki and he has no receiving game chops so he's not gonna he might not be a fantasy football play so keep that in mind Steve before you steal my pick but Khalil Herbert is a guy I would love for the Giants I think he would add so much juice for them off the bench for Barkley here yeah, and I also think uh, Elijah Mitchell, the kid from Louisiana, yes. obviously going to know Rob Sale. There's going to be a connection there. Solid player. Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma showed a lot of pass protection skills down at the Reese's Senior Bowl, dove into his tape a little bit, was a bit player there, didn't take on the entire load for the Sooners, but he's a nice little piece that I feel like you can add on day three that may be able to kind of thrive in the power gap and use his burst to really hit holes and get to the second level. So those are just two other guys on day three to kind of pay attention to. Perfect. I agree with you on both of those. So let's go on to the next one for Bay Guevara. He asks, why don't enough Giants folks talk about Elijah Vera Tucker as a viable pick at 11? He's versatile, strong, with pretty quick feet. Shouldn't he be in the mix in the likely event that Rashawn Slater and Penny Sol are gone? We just went over this, Bay. We just yeah, went over this. Did. And honestly, I think you're right. Not a lot of people are paying attention to a player who has that versatility that Joe Judge wants and who is effective at both guard and tackle in a Power 5 conference, and that is Elijah Barrett Tucker. So, I mean, if he's that pick at 11, I mean, I'm going to be pleased, to be honest. And I'm going to dive even deeper into his film to give a more... Uh, give a better kind of analysis of his skill set but from what everything that I did see which I watched his tape I think back in January he was mm. a very technically sound player who does not make a lot of mistakes who was very very smart who wasn't fooled and who was strong at the point of attack handled counters well got his hands inside used excellent grip strength to kind of hold an edge rusher in place did not allow himself to get really beat ever unless you watch the Oregon game against Thibodeau beat him a couple times but other than that his tape was good against one of who's somebody who might be a top five pick next year right. So I think you have to take that into account. But I would love to have a player like Elijah Vera Tucker. And that's why I love that call that you had before, Dan. Yeah, and I would say this just to add to that. You kind of covered most of what needs to be covered there. But just to add to that, I haven't watched a lot of film on Elijah Vera Tucker. But I will say this. The people who I read a lot of during draft season who I consider to, based on everything they've proven, watch the most film because they put it out there, they show their work. All the people who watch a lot of film that I follow love this guy. And that, if that's a common trend where the film guys love this guy, that's a good sign to me. So I'm with you, I'm with you on that. So Young Missile asks, if Rashawn Slater is on the board at 11, shouldn't he be the pick regardless of giving the young players a chance to grow? What round two receivers do you guys, and also what round two receivers do you guys think highly of if we go Slater at 11? Should DG trade back if wide receiver O-line is not the pick at 11? There's a loaded question there. It, it is a loaded question from our guy, Young Missile. 
But uh, Rashawn Slater, I don't think it should ever be regardless who should be the pick if he's at 11 because what if Kyle Pitts falls? What if Penny Suel falls? You just yeah. never know exactly what is going to happen. And that's for those round two receivers. I mean, Terrace Marshall, say if Slater is the pick. Terrace Marshall, somebody that's definitely intriguing, as you said before, Elijah Mitchell, who honestly could Elijah Moore. Yeah. Or Elijah Moore. Yeah, Elijah Mitchell running back. Elijah Moore, somebody who I honestly feel like the Chiefs or a team like that can select later in the draft. I think that's somebody who, in round two, could be an interesting uh, future slot type of guy if Sterling Shepard's not going to last his contract for whatever reason. So I really like Terrace Marshall. I love Elijah Moore. Rondell Moore is a different type of player. Wish he wasn't so injured. He's the kid from Purdue. Has a lot of injury issues, but man, is he just electric when he gets the football in his hand. I think I like those guys a little bit better than maybe like a Kadarius Toney who's a little bit more raw, a little bit more of a gadget player, only really thrived in a receiver spot in his last season, his senior year in Dan Mullen's offense down there in Gainesville, Florida. So I like Darius Tony, but not as much, I feel like, as those other guys. I feel like those guys are a little bit more proven and they have higher upside. But Tony is very, very interesting. You land him in a place with a creative offensive coordinator. I mean, they can really use his explosive playmaking ability. I don't know if that's Jason Garrett, but we're hoping that he's evolved from his 2020 film. Yeah, and I'll answer this too. I'll say, should he be the pick regardless of the quote-unquote giving the young players a chance to grow? I completely agree with you on that. I'm not in the camp of you need to just let these guys get play. I just want to put competition on the offensive line and talent and let the best players win. And if that means you have a really good player as your swing tackle, I don't hate that. I don't hate that at all. Can nope. we be completely honest with you? Um, what round two receivers you guys would highly regard? I'll, everyone Nick said is who I have up there. I personally love the Elijah Moore the most. He's my number one of the, that group. Marshall would be my number two option out of that group. Rondale would be my number three option. I really like Rondale. I know he's small. I know he has the injuries. But he is. when you watched him in the Big Ten, he was at another level. But then probably number one for me here. And I think this guy was never talked about as being there at 42. But I think after his testing and after he checked in at just six foot, when a lot of people thought he was 6'2", is Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. I think there's this weird chance that we that the mock drafters and the media could like him more than the NFL teams do just because again he only is six foot he was supposed to be about six two and he doesn't maybe necessarily have that testing straight line speed that everybody looks for but you watch Rajat Bateman man and he gets open with ease he separates with ease and I think he can play the boundary which is really what I'm looking for I don't need another slot I'm happy with what they have at slot I also think they could find slots later in the draft and in other draft classes coming up I want X's and I think he can be that guy, X or Z, depending on either side of the boundary. And he would be probably number one on my list if he's if it's possible for him to fall there to 42. Yeah, it was devastating for Rashad Bateman when the Golden Gophers website had him listed at six foot two, two ten, and he came in at six foot one ninety. I think he came in at only six foot, actually. That's what I said, six foot one ninety. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, six foot one ninety. Yep, yep. Yeah, dude. And it's funny. Somebody tweeted this out. I thought this was hilarious. I forgot who it was. I think it was Danny Kelly of the Ringer. He tweeted out Good like guy. Rashawn Bateman has been shrinking, and it showed like his high school listing was like six foot four, six foot three, two twenty, <laughs> and it was like his college listing six foot two, two hundred ten, and then it was like what he actually is, and he's been shrinking. Actually actually, as he's going up. That just shows you, you know, those listings on the website, never buy those for height and weight. All right, let's move to the next one here. Oh, wait, should DG trade back if wide receiver O-line is not the pick at 11? Uh, no, I'm not necessarily in that camp. I think if they feel like they can get a blue chip there with Parsons or, you know, necessarily not Phillips, but maybe a Sertan or something like that we've talked about, I don't think you necessarily need to trade back. I agree with you. All right, curmudgeon68 asks, is it playoff or bust for Dave Gettleman in 2021? 
They set such a low bar last season and prove on four wins and have provided every excuse to justify keeping him. But in my opinion, enough is enough. No GM should be allowed to keep his job with a 15-33 and 33 record. So what if this team... I mean, this is highly unlikely with seven playoff teams. What if they go 10-6 and six and somehow don't make the playoffs? Well, they can't go 10-6. and six. Ten and seven. There you there go. You there go. you go. Yeah. What if they go ten and seven, <laughs> yeah. and they have that kind of improvement? It's going to be weird all year, by the way, guys. We're going to make that mistake so often. Oh yeah, if they make that kind of improvement, like a yes. vast improvement, ten and seven, is, it's a big step. You know, basically flipping your record. Obviously, you have an extra game though. Sure. Would Gettleman retain his job? That's the only uh, avenue I think that he could retain his job if they do not make the playoffs. But if they have another six and eleven team yeah. or something like that i think that gettleman's a goner yeah i think this needs to be taken in scope like i think a lot of people view last season as success and i think that's very unfair and very big blue uh rose colored but <laughs> blue color rose colored glass whatever it's called bias <laughs> because yeah they were in the playoff fund but only because it was in the worst division in the history of football that's not fair to say that's improvement it's not they won only six games we have to really look at this objectively and say they weren't really in any kind of playoff run they were in a crap division playoff run that's nothing and even then it's like most of their wins came against that same division so it's like how much improvement they didn't really win that many games outside of the nfc seattle and cincinnati right? seattle and cincinnati were their only wins outside the nfc and, and that was against cincinnati without joe burrow yes in a game that turned into not a blowout and honestly if we're going to be real if it wasn't for cam brown tripping up that one kick return then the giants might lose that game yes cam brown's that long arms that was yeah, yeah cam brown's long arms that we just heralded for special teams right. work literally bailed the giants it might have been a punt return but they, that was in the fourth quarter it was almost because yeah, they gave a, up a kick return earlier and they, they did a touchdown that was the opening kickoff especially it was a disaster in that game but yeah so, so so to me, like only winning two games out of the division, that wasn't improvement. You're right, the fifteen thirty. So, but yes, I think Nick is right. If they win ten games and miss the playoffs, or if they win nine, if they go nine and eight. So here's the thing: if they go nine and eight and miss the playoffs, Gettleman should, in my mind, be without a doubt fired. I don't even think I don't think he's a good GM at all, and I don't think he should be here right now, based on what you said. But mostly, it's not just based on the product, the the results. It's based a lot on the process. We've talked about this at length. We don't need to go back into this, um, but. I do think the bar needs to be set a lot higher for this team. It should not take five years to just become a playoff team. And if the Giants go to the playoffs in this season and get blown out in the wild card round, by the way, Nick, I also think it's time for change because, but again, again, like it depends where they're at. It's so hard to know. If behind the scenes, it's mostly the Joe Judge show right now, and Gettleman's kind of like that overseer, then that changes my opinion on what they should do because, like, maybe that's fine. You know, maybe they can move forward and do better with that. Because there is improve, there was stark improvement from last offseason to the uh, the previous ones, and this offseason so far has gone pretty well, I think. So it's hard to say; it really depends. But I'm with you on this. I I don't think the Giants made this kind of unbelievable astronomical yeah. progress last season because they had four wins against the NFC East. And I do say that while being. Uh, on the camp and on board with Joe Judge. I like yes. the cut of that guy's jib right now. For sure. I, I completely agree with that. And then that brings yeah. in the whole other thing. We don't want to go too deep on this. Brings in the whole other thing, which is like, if you do bring in a GM, new GM, he's supposed to want to be able to pick his new coach. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's a lot and, of moving parts here. And I think it all comes down to Daniel Jones, too, which we've said. If yes. Daniel Jones has a crap season, I think Gettleman's got You cannot have Gettleman yes. pick another quarterback. Oh, hell no. So that's where it's going to... Literally, they're tied at the hip, Daniel Jones and yes. Dave Gettleman. The only difference is Daniel Jones is in his early 20s, and Dave Gettleman is about to sail away in the sunset at Cape Cod. <laughs> yeah, and you've been saying that for a while. I think you've been spot on about that, by the way, Nick. Um, but let's, before we move on to the next question, take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. 
All right, Breck Jones asks, if the Giants draft Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, or even a different kind of slot-type guy in the second round like Elijah Moore or Kadarius Toney, would that open the door to possibly trading Sterling Shepard, if not this year, maybe next offseason? I think it could, for sure, if there's a market for a player like Sterling Shepard. And honestly, Dan and I both are huge Sterling Shepard fans, but this might come down to the money and the fact that the Giants did kick a lot of the money down the line. And Shepard has, what, three years left on that contract, if I'm not mistaken. He may end up being a cap casualty. You could throw the concerns about the concussion history also into that equation, and it may lead the Giants to be like, look, we love Sterling Shepard, but if another team wants him, then we can shed this shed this salary and move on. So I do believe Breck that that could be a possibility but I really love Sterling Shepard I would like Sterling Shepard to finish out this contract but I just don't think it's a foregone conclusion right now that that's going to happen yeah I think you nailed it Nick I think it's important to note a couple things though with regards to what Breck is asking us here Sterling Shepard is going to enter his age 29 season this year that might be surprising to you but it's the actual case and so He's older than we think. He'll be, if you're talking about trading, I don't think they're going to trade him this offseason no matter what. So if you're talking about trading him next offseason, he'll be entering 2022 to the second to last year on his contract, but at 30 years old with a cap hit of $10.5 I don't know if there will be any market for a player like that, 30 years old with a cap hit of $10.5 million, to be completely honest with you. And I don't want to say it's impossible because... Sterling Shepard is a clear-cut case of somebody who is a lot better on tape than the stats show. And we're not just saying that because we're Giants fans and we have a Giants podcast. We are pretty much always objective and to the point where some people think that we're negative or too negative, quote-unquote, which I don't agree with. But I think Sterling Shepard is a clear-cut case of one of the best receivers on film versus the stats. And you ask somebody like Matt Harmon, who does reception perception and breaks down the tape of every single receiver in the NFL and charts every single route they run versus every type of coverage, and he's always charting in the ninety, close to ninetieth percentile. And he's one of the three or four guys who Matt's like, this is one of the only guys who you know he's called all these breakouts and he's called the breakout for a while on Shepard and it just hasn't happened, partly due to injuries. Obviously, you talked about that the concussions, not just the concussions. He's had toe issues and foot issues and all sorts of issues. And so you talk about all those things, I don't see a trade market for him. But as far as cut goes, it's possible. But you have to understand something. $10.5 million cap in 2022, $4 million of that is dead cap. That's a huge dead cap number. So like, if you were to cut that, you'll get $6 million back, which is, not, which is okay. But you're paying $4 million for him to not be on the roster. The year after that, it would be $11.5 million cap hit with only $2 million dead cap. I think... By 2023, I think there's a very unlikely chance he'll be on the Giants roster. Especially if they go that. 11 against the cap, 2 million. Yeah. Like. If they go Smith or if they go with a receiver at 11. Yes, yes. It may be different. If they don't, we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, that would be my answer to that question, Breck. I would say more likely to be released than traded. Alrighty, we also have Raman asking, do you believe that Rashawn Slater could be drafted at 11 to play at guard? This is something that Dan and I have talked about a lot. I mean, well, wait, wait, wait. There's actually part two of the question, which I think is more interesting. Oh, okay. You're right. Would... I formatted that wrong. Sorry about that. <laughs> now you're okay. Would that be a wise use of resources to draft a guard in the first round? I believe a guard like Rashawn Slater, who has the possibility of playing tackle if you're in a pickle, then yes, I do believe it's a wise uh course of action to do that now we've seen guards in the past chance warmack 
from Alabama, Jonathan Cooper from North Carolina, absolutely bust. And then we've seen top 10 guards like Quentin Nelson be absolute difference makers. So in Zach Martin, obviously both Notre Dame guys, Aaron Banks, but Aaron Banks is not that type of prospect, but he's still a very good player. So I look at, I I look at this and I say, yes, ideally you want something a little bit more flashier guards, not all that sexy, but I believe Rashawn Slater can be the difference maker to where the Giants select him at 11. Obviously, I would be happy. I would not condemn that, even if it means he's not going to play tackle and he is relegated to the guard position. Wherever he fits on that Giants offensive line to maximize the offense's potential is where I want him to be. That's guard, so be it. That's center, so freaking be it. Yeah, I agree with Nick entirely as far as the general points that he made there and the in-depth points that he made there as well. But I will take this a step further, Raman, and say this. You put Rashawn Slater on this roster, and I think he could be the best right tackle they have on day one. Honestly, I think there's a chance that he could be the best offensive tackle they have on the roster. Like, if I put all these guys in a draft class with last year, I have a higher grade on Rashawn Slater than I have on Andrew Thomas. And it's close because Thomas is a little bit safer, but what Rashawn Slater offers with that with the footwork and with his athleticism in the in the um, passing game and in the run game on outside runs, on screen passes, on quick hitters, if you have a guy like Elijah Moore in the second round that you can start using in your offense, it far exceeds the upside to me of, of really any Andrew Thomas or any any of these offensive linemen on the roster right now. Matt Parrott, like Matt Parrott has a lot of upside as a pass protector. He's not the same kind of athlete and it's not even really close to what he can do in space, in my opinion, to Rashawn Slater. So yeah, even if you were putting him at guard, I'm fine with it. But you also then have the chance of just having your best tackle on the roster. So to me, I'm in on that. Um, let's go to the next one, though. Mike Jerky asks, which players available at number 11 would you not consider to, a trade back to select? That's a good question. I think that is a good question. And for me, I mean, honestly, Rashawn Slater may fit into there. Penne Suo would fit into there. Also, if, if there's somebody giving a haul for this pick, then I would consider the trade back. But let's yeah. try to remain realistic here. <laughs> I think Kyle Pitts, even a Jalen Waddle, I think those guys as well. But again, I think the context needs to be there that if, say, somebody at pick 20 wants... To just, Jones or something. Yeah, wants to trade the the farm to the Giants, then I would yeah. then I would take that to get the depth. But if I want to narrow it down to three guys, I think Kyle Pitts, Penny Sewell, and I'm gonna probably say Jalen Waddle, but I think Slater's also in that mix as well. I like this question a lot and I'll answer it similar to Nick. If there is some kind of amazing trade, like crazy trade, then exactly. I'll probably just take it because the value's too good. But for me it would be Pitts, no doubt. That's number one for me. He'd be the first one. I Stand by what I said when we did his draft profile two months ago. I think he's the best non-quarterback in this draft class and the shortest non-quarterback in this draft class. Then I'll go with uh, Penesel. That's another one I wouldn't trade back if they have that pick. That's two for me. And then Slater, I'll put in there too. I really like Slater. I wasn't sure I was going to put him in there, but I do think he's pretty unique. And I really, if you can get a guy like that at 11 in a draft, any draft class, it's pretty good considering how rare and just the scarcity of tackles. So I'll put him there, three. And then I'm going to also throw in Jamar Chase here into this mix because the more I watch Chase, the more... I, for a while, I was like, meaning, you know, do I like Devontae Smith more? Do I like Waddle? Because I was watching a lot of Bama tape. And then, I, and then I went back and watched more Chase, and I was like, all right, yeah, I see it. Like, this guy is the wide receiver one. So I'll put Chase in there as well. I should have put Chase in there sure. as well. And Trevor Lawrence, we could throw him in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. I'll put Zach Wilson in there. Why not? I'll throw Zach Wilson in there for sure. Um, he also says, what... What would be, or I'm sorry, which players jump out at you as a potential trade-up in the end of round one? And obviously, as we know, the Giants 
are not hesitant at all to trade up in the draft. That's not something Dave Gettleman cares to do. I, I would think he's going to be a little more hesitant this class because he has so few picks on day three, but maybe they then package a pick from next year if they want to really move up into round one. He did it to get DeAndre Baker. He said that he was really close to doing it in the Will Hernandez draft. He was really close to trading back in a round one to get Will Hernandez. He said he was patient, waited, got Hernandez anyway. Um, so let's say he does it again. Which players jump out to you? This is where, say, the Giants ended up going with a Waddle or somebody who wasn't mm-hmm. an edge. This is where the edge comes in. Sure. And those edges are, for me, Jalen Phillips, and I think I would consider Aziz Ojolari as well. Okay. And I think Jason O is an interesting one just because they have insight into his character with Spencer and Flaherty, and he is just an absolute freak who they can develop. And we know this coaching staff, more so than others, it seems, really takes pride in teaching rather than coaching. And a player like Owa may benefit from that a little bit more than some of the other players because he is raw but has freak type of athletic ability and just measurables and testing and just really every yeah. bend he's a, he's a really fun watch so I, I think i could throw him in there as well here are my guys here it's a little interesting it'll be different so for i'm going to trade into round one um i've been more against this than i used to be yeah. after the deandre baker situation it just the, when you make this trade it better go right because you're just giving up so many assets too. So for like for me, like I'm intrigued by Jason Owa, but I'm not going to take a projection like that because you're now trading. You're not only now taking a risk by taking a total projection like Owa, you're also now giving up extra picks to take that risk. So that's out for me. Phillips, I'll put Jalen Phillips because again, that one's a risk for other reasons. That's a risk because of the off-field stuff, but the actual project you don't need to project much with him. He's going to be a good pass rusher, I think, if he stays on the field and he plays a lot. So I'll put Jalen Phillips in there. I'm also going to throw Micah Parsons in there if he sees a draft day slide because of the lack of information, because he took a year off, because of all the maybe potential off-field stuff. If the Giants feel like they have that under control with Spencer and you know he doesn't need the handler like we've read about, he might need a handler, which nobody wants to draft a player like that. But if they feel comfortable and he's sliding, I would be definitely fine with trading up for him. So he'd be number one for me, Parsons. I would put Jalen Phillips, too. And then for me, my third one would be Elijah Moore because I freaking love this Elijah Moore kid. And I think he's going to be an absolute freaking stud. And I think he's a top 15 player in this class the more I think about it with him. So he would be my third one, Elijah Moore. Doesn't it seem like, I mean, the Chiefs need to go offensive line, but couldn't you imagine like Andy Reid getting him and then having Elijah Moore operating in the middle of the field with Travis? It would be so, so crazy. Yeah, that would be dangerous. I don't know how the Giants would ever beat a team like that. (laughs) I don't know, but hopefully they could because you really want the Super Bowl. You don't want just the playoffs in my mind. You want the Super Bowl. All right. Every team has a goal, Breck, or I'm sorry, Mike asked. We're giving Mike three questions. That's how much we like him. Every team has a goal. What will be the Giants' top goal or top two or three positions they must fill? So top two or three positions they must fill. I feel like we've been kind of pounding the drum. They want We want the Giants to address the offensive line, and we want them to, and we believe that they will, address the edge position. I'm also hoping, Dan, that... They also go BPA, and they don't kind of neglect a really, really blue-chip type talent. This is really specific to the 11th pick, just to kind of check a box. And that's kind of yes. like what we've been talking about. Are they going to sit there and just select an edge at 11? Because if you select an edge and you pass on the Jalen Waddles and the Penne Sewells or something like that, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, and I think I'll answer this a little bit differently, Nick. I'm going to answer the first part. What will the Giants' top goal be? I think they will have a goal, two goals in this draft. I think the first goal will be to add playmaking talent to their offense at the skill positions. So that means whether that's in-space elusiveness, whether that's deep speed, which I think they kind of already covered with John Ross, but maybe don't fully feel like they covered. Either way, those are all similar prospects do those same things. 
add playmaking ability in space once the ball's in the hands of a skill position player. The second one I think is going to be to add edge rushing, pass rushing talent. I think that's going to be a goal of theirs. I don't know when they're going to do it. I'm personally hoping they wait to do it. Unless it's Peyton Turner in round two, it's like the only edge I'm even like remotely interested in, with the exception of obviously Oa dropping or like like we like you said Jalen Phillips dropping or Ojolari to 42, which is obviously possible too. But at 11, I don't feel it. I don't want it. So, but I do think it will be a goal. So we'll see what happens there as well. All right, we're gonna do one more question here, then we're gonna wrap up the show. But there were a lot of questions this week, so we are going to do a second mailbag that will come out probably shortly after this, but we're going to record it another time because Nick is in his first game back and he's already, a, they, 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 we want to manage his reps and we want to make sure that it's a long season ahead of us and we got the biggest game ahead of us, aka the NFL draft, so we got to manage the reps. So last question here is from David Goodman, buddy of the show, always on the locker room with us, which I like. He says, does Nick have a protein bar with a candle in it for his birthday? Well, honestly, I have, <laughs> I have the protein bar and I show it. You know, I shove a candle for each birthday I've had. So the thing is just basically, you know, 30 freaking candles just lined up. And I just light them on. I just blow it out. Make the best wish I can. It's exactly what I do. But no, you know, a birthday cake is not my huge thing. You know, my mom always tries to, what do you want? And then I literally just go, hey, dad, what's your favorite type of cake? And my dad says his favorite type of cake. And then he gets the cake that he wants. <laughs> I make sure. a good son. I mean, that makes you a great son. Um, I'm, I'm, get I'm to- trying to move up his list, man. You know, I got two brothers True. and, you know, the, that list, you know, you want to be the number one son and I'm True. not I'm not firmly there right now, you know? Ooh, who's, who's ahead of you now? Uh, I'm not sure. Not now. With my dad's list, I could be number one, but it fluctuates. My mom, I'm, I'm not number one right now. Whoa. Yeah. We'll and there's, there, there, there's, 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 there's developments. I don't even think I've actually told you why there's been developments, but my mom loves me the, the death. I'm Steve's definitely number two. one on her list, not Mel, right? Steve is usually dead last. Doesn't oh, even know wow. Steve exists kind of wow. thing. Wow. But right now he's number one for reasons that I'll get into off. Okay, we'll have to talk about that later. But on my personal list, just so we're going into the family side of this, on the last fun question, I'm number one always. If you're listening to this, Matt, you're probably not because you're a bad brother. And your claim is, I don't listen to podcasts. The only reason I don't listen to podcasts and I support you on Twitter and everything else. But you know who does listen to this podcast? Ari, our cousin. Uncle Steve, our uncle. My dad, Ron Schneier, avid listener. And even my mom, but... I will say this if both Ron and Nancy are listening. I am number one on their list at all times, it seems like. And you know what, Matt? It's just a fact of life you're going to have to accept, buddy. But to answer the, to, to get into the question, does Nick have a protein bar? I've actually seen this firsthand. you got to understand something about Nick and his protein bars. He's very picky about them. He looks at the back, and I asked him once because I know that he – there was one time I was eating a protein bar. We were uh, doing a lift together. I was eating a protein bar, and he was like, I was like, dude, these are great protein bars. You should check these out. You'll love these. And he's like, eh. He looked at the back. He's like, eh. Look at the sugar count. Way too much sugar in this. And I was like, but dude, it tastes good. Like, I can afford an extra 12 grams of sugar. He's like, I can't. <laughs> so, so, so now I found out he's got a system. I, I have, that number says, yeah. is that not, seven is his cutoff. Seven grams of sugar in each protein bar. If that reaches eight, don't even consider it. Throw it in the garbage. Why the hell did I buy this? I made a mistake. Don't you ever offer me a protein bar with eight grams of sugar or more. I have my neuroses, but it depends on what I'm trying to do with my body. If I need the sugar, if I'm doing a lot of running, then it's fine. But if I'm not, then I, then I try to limit the sugar intake. One of the most disappointing things, that, in my opinion, since I've known Nick, is that he doesn't eat pizza. What Italian that lives in northern Jersey doesn't ever eat pizza. It's never part of his diet at all. Like, I, he's pro- When's the last time you had good pizza? I have no idea. It's crazy. This is years we're talking. It's probably been years since he's had pizza. Like, we have great pizza all around us in New Jersey. And 
that part it's always gonna hurt me as an Italian. Like, no, it, and I don't even see him doing like the mozzarella, the prosciutto, the bread. Like, does none of the none of the good Italian food that's part of his great culture. He gets to enjoy. He just like doesn't put move it in. He's just eating roasted chicken in the oven. And like, come on, man, throw some carbs into that diet. I throw some spices on that chicken though, you know. Oh, some spices. I put some yeah. adobo on it, you know. Oh my god, adobo! Like, come on, give me a break here. Eat some pizza. All right, we're gonna end it on that one. Have a little fun with it. But thanks to everybody who tuned into the Big Blue Banter podcast. As always, please, please do us a favor and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And as well as subscribe to the podcast, please make sure you leave us a rating and review. Hopefully, that review will be that rating will be five stars. I have a major update when it comes to that, but we're going to get to that in a second. Because also, we would like you to follow us on Instagram at NY. Big Blue Banter. That's NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram. Please follow us there. We're extremely active on Instagram. Thanks to Nick and Sean, who runs the Instagram account. They're putting up stuff all the time there. And we got a little surprise announcement coming soon as far as content goes, but not just quite yet. Lastly, follow us and participate with us and join us on Locker Room every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. We are hosting a live Locker Room. We may move that for the draft to Monday. We haven't decided that yet. Or maybe Wednesday. We, we'll, we'll, we'll get back on that. There's going to be a big one there. Um, but follow us there. But lastly, let's get into some recent rating and reviews on, I, on iTunes. Because there's an interesting one. Barcavio. Oh, coming back. Five man. stars from the Barkmaster. Barkmeister Barcavio comes in through in the clutch. He started us at four stars. Then he dropped us to two stars. Oof. Then he put us back up to four stars. Now we hit the five-star mark. Can we hold this rating, Barcavio? What do we have to do to hold the five-star? He says, the Devontae Smith episode, one of the best episodes in the series running up to the draft. Really good analysis of top receivers and a good discussion on how they compare to the top players in other positions. Also, a much better and equal distribution of airtime between the two as compared to what has sometimes been a more one-sided discussion during the draft profiles. Remember, a good podcast is like is like good jazz. It's not often the number of notes you can squeeze into each bar, but the space left between the notes. So, a very uh, philosophical review from Barcavio, and well done, Barcavio. I like it. As, as you're going to give us a five-star, I'm good with it. Um, there's a lot of reviews, actually, in, and, and some questions as well. We might actually put this off since this one's running late to the second part of this mailbag podcast. We're recorded off uh, next. So if you ha- did leave a question in your review, don't worry. We're going to answer it on the next uh, mailbag, which will be coming up soon. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon.